All right, well, good morning. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 11 through 17. As you're turning there, I just I want to start by just asking a question. What is the best way to make an impact uh, with, the saved, with the unsaved world around us? What is the best way to impact the unsaved world around us for Christ? How do we maximize our impact in this world? Uh, because, you know, when I think about this question, I think there are a lot of really good options. There's a lot of really good ways in which we can reach the lost world. Um, I think of one way we've done in the past is we can hand them a gospel track, give them a track telling them about the good uh, news and telling them about how they can come to know Christ, who he is, who they are before him, and uh, what they must do to have a relationship with him. It's a great way. We've done it many times. Uh, I've done it for many years, and Christians continue doing that. Um, we could also reach them by starting a Bible study. We could invite them to learn about the, the God that we serve. We could teach them through Genesis all the way up through Revelation of the truth of who God is and how they can know him. These are all really great options. These are all really good uh, things. We could also do you know, evangelistic outreaches. We can invite people to you know, Christmas events or Easter events or you know, potluck here or there, and, and use that as a tool to bring people um, to ultimately knowing um, about God. But I want to tell you that um, what I've found, not to say that any of those things are bad, these are all really good things that we should encourage, but I've found that the greatest way of reaching the unbelieving world, probably the single best impact you can possibly make on reaching lost souls, is through how you choose to live your life. The single biggest impact is through how you choose to live your life. Uh, you know, a well-lived life for the Lord is the greatest evangelistic tool out there. And um, it, it's, a, it's just simply a living a holy life, a life lived in obedience to God's commands, and that in and of itself will make the greatest impact on this world. It's again, not to say that any of those other things are, are bad things, they're all really great things. We should continue doing those things. But um, how and the way a Christian lives their life proves to the world, proves to the lost world that we are different. We are different from them. And because our life demonstrates a difference, um, it makes them realize, you know, there, there is something that I just, I don't have that they have. There's something about them that I'm not used to seeing in the rest of the people I know. And it's because their life should demonstrate the reality of what Christ has done in transforming our lives. And so that's really the idea that Peter is going to focus on today, the idea of how to live our lives in a way that impacts the unbelieving world around us. Up until this point, we've uh, been talking about, uh, Peter has been writing to believers who are scattered throughout this modern-day Turkey area. And in first chapter, uh, he's been talking about these believers as having people as people who are suffering, they're facing various trials, their faith is being tested by fire, we have a young group of believers who are feeling the pressure of the world all around them. And they need encouragement. They need encouragement to press on, to keep on shining that light, as Nick said, to keep on shining our light brightly, to show this lost world the reality of their faith. And so Peter wants to encourage us to press on living a righteous life. And the best way to do that, um, 
and, and because the best way to and because the best way uh, to demonstrate that your life has been changed, the best way to win souls for Christ is by living a holy life, by living a life of obedience to Him, living in a way that the world will say, you know what, there is something different about that person. They're not like the rest of the world. And so we'll read our passage today. It's First Peter chapter two, and we'll be reading verses eleven through seventeen. Peter starts by saying, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when, you, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We'll just go back to verse 11 and start there where it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. There's an old saying that I'm sure you're very familiar with uh, that starts off by saying, you know, when in Rome, and then the rest of the phrase, most people don't even know, but it's do as the Romans do. That's the full phrase that people say, but most people just abbreviate saying when in Rome. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough in you know, my short time on this earth to have traveled to places, you know, outside of this state. I've gone to, I think, about 40 of the different states in this country. Uh, I've also traveled, you know, different countries, uh, maybe about four or five other ones. So I've seen only a small amount of things, but uh, I've been fortunate enough to see different cultures, seen different traditions that people hold to. Uh, in different countries, people dress differently. They act differently. They speak differently to each other. Um, they drive differently. They have a different set of values than I have. Um, but what I've noticed in general from, from being there as a, as a tourist there is that people don't always like tourists. People find them a little bit of annoying or of an annoyance to them because tourists don't know the rules. Tourists don't know how to act like everyone else. They don't blend into the rest of society. They're just different. They stand out like a sore thumb. And so when a person doesn't start adapting and they don't start fitting into that society or that location around them, people start to make them feel like they're outsiders. They make them feel like they don't belong here. They treat them differently. And so to prevent this from happening, as the saying goes, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. It means that when you visit a foreign place, when you go to a, even a different state or a different country, wherever it may be that you're not used to, it, the saying is to, to follow the customs, follow the behaviors of those who live there. Try and blend in. Try and become like them. Start mimicking maybe how they talk. Maybe start behaving a little bit more like them. Maybe that's not how you behave at home, but this is traditional here, so you try and act a little bit more like them. And, um, and in doing that, you, you blend into this new place, and you avoid the uh, criticism. You avoid the uh, treatment of, of being different and uh, you avoid standing out. And so just as just some things I do sometimes when I travel, 
Uh, I typically, I try and rent maybe a local car that has the same state license plate or it has the same country or whatever it may be so that you feel like you're not an outsider to that place. Um, typically, I don't try and put sunglasses down here and I don't wear a camera around my neck and I try and not buy the Hawaiian t-shirt so people don't see that I'm clearly not uh, from that area. I, I try to avoid going to tourist traps. I try to not go to all these uh, really popular areas where there's busloads of people being dropped off. I, I try my best to not act like a foreigner. I try to eat at the local spots. I try to just blend in and be like the locals and see what their life is like. And uh, you know, this is fine when you're going on vacation, you're seeing a new country. Um, but I believe if we transition this to our lives, I believe that it's very easy, though, for Christians to be like a tourist trying to blend into to this world today. Sometimes we can try and blend in with the, the world. We try to uh, blend in with their traditions. We try to blend in with the ways of the world. We try to blend in with the entertainment, and, and we watch the same things that they watch. We uh, sometimes behave like the world. We sometimes think the way the world thinks. Sometimes our morals, or the way we or the morals that we hold to, sometimes align with the world, which it shouldn't. And, we're, and it's because, partly because we're surrounded by the world, and it can be very easy to start behaving and talking and acting like the world does. I think the reason so many Christians from time to time begin to act like the world is because they forget who they truly are. Some of us forget that when we come back from you know, Europe or wherever we may have come back to, when we come back to our home, whether it be Fremont or whether it be you know, Union City or wherever in the Bay Area, we forget that the place we come back home to is still not our home either. The place we traveled from was not our home. The place we come back to is not our home. We are uh, not citizens of Fremont. We're not citizens of Hayward, of the Bay Area. We're not citizens of California. We're not citizens of the US. We're not citizens of this earth. We are foreigners living on this earth, but this is not our home. And this is kind of the issue that uh, Peter's going to deal with today, and the idea is that we are simply just passing through as sojourners and pilgrims today on this earth. And a lot of us have forgotten that our citizenship is not found in the Bay Area, not in the U.S., not on this earth, but instead, Philippians 3 tells us and reminds us, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, if you're a believer... If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ by faith and you believe what he did on the cross for you, believing he died on that cross to pay for your sins and that the punishment that you deserve was placed upon him, then you are no longer a citizen of this world. You once were a citizen of this world, but when you believed upon the Lord for salvation, you have been given this new citizenship, a heavenly one. Now, we still are on this earth. We didn't immediately get taken to heaven uh, the moment we trusted the Lord. And there's a reason for that. And that's kind of mainly what Peter will be talking about today. Three ideas he'll talk about today surround the believer's mission while still on this earth. And the first idea he's going to talk about is first our place on this earth as believers. Our place here on this earth as believers a second uh, topic he'll discuss is our purpose for acting differently while on this earth. Our purpose for acting differently while on this earth. And thirdly, he'll uh, talk about how heavenly citizens are to live while on this earth. So the first thing we'll take a look at is our place, our position here on this earth. 
we are exiles on this earth. We are pilgrims. We're sojourners. I, I have an ID card from California saying that I'm a California resident. I have a passport saying that I'm a U.S. citizen. I have a birth certificate all saying that I am from this country, from this state. And, uh, and yet, we're not truly residents. Um, I'm a resident alien, if you will, uh, living on this earth. I don't belong here. I'm just simply passing through until the Lord returns or until he takes me back home to be with him in heaven. We are citizens of heaven, and so believers should act differently. We should then, therefore, behave differently than the rest of the world. You are in this world, but you are not of this world, meaning that you physically reside here. Yes, you may have all the cards, all the documents to prove your residence of here, you know, but your home, your citizenship is in heaven. And as residents of heaven, your acting, your behavior, your speech should all be different than those who are unbelievers on this earth. When I uh, first got saved, I uh, maybe was only a Christian for a couple years, but I remember uh, talking to a man who was a professing believer at the time, and um, he had this very dangerous idea that he was pushing on other people, and he was very proud about this idea. Um, and he, he told different groups of people, including myself, he said, you know, I'm, I'm a cool Christian. I don't need to act like all the other Christians act because, you know, sometimes it turns the world off to them. Um, I can do the same things the unbelievers do. I can watch the same movies. I can listen to the same things. I can talk like them, you know. I, I know how to get along with them, and I can, I can kind of blend myself in any conversation. I can, you know, I can go to the parties that they go to. I can uh, drink like they do. I can smoke like they do. I can, I can do all the things, and, you know, they'll see me, and they'll see, you know what, he's a cool guy. He's a Christian, though, and maybe that will be my evangelistic tool. That's how I'm going to reach them. They're going to see that he's a, he's a cool Christian, and uh, I'll fit in better with people, and I'll be able to reach more people that other people couldn't reach. And uh, again, this is, this is not good advice. This was really bad advice, and I uh, thankfully was aware enough to realize the foolishness of the idea, um, because if you, as a believer, act no differently than the world, then why would they ever want to change their ways? How are you any different than them? Then that's the reality of the situation, you know, of this notion that you can just act like the world, conform to the worldly patterns, and, you know, this notion of when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Uh, that's not what we're called to. Um, because it will never lead you to do anything more than just sin and uh, really tarnish your testimony among the unbelievers. And so Paul uh, gives us this reminder in Romans 12 to believers. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, that what is, good, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <clears throat> and so he's just reminding us, live a transformed life. Live a life different from any of the patterns you see on TV, any of the patterns you see in the people around you. Don't be like them. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't allow it to pressure you to become more like it. You're not supposed to be like it. Act differently than that. And so the calling that God gives us is not to be popular with the world, not to have them speak well of you, not to have them love you, but rather if we live the way Christians are called to live, we will be hated by this world. Jesus tells us this very thing in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If we are living our lives for the Lord, if we are obeying his commands, if we are living lives that are holy, then the world will hate us. The world... um, The world will not like us. The world will despise us because we're not like them. We're a sore thumb. We're like the tourists are in those places. They realize we stick out. We're not really from here. And uh, that's okay, though, because that's our calling. We are called to live in the world. We're living currently in this world. But as Jesus says in John 17, we are not of the world. We do not participate in the worldly behavior. We do not participate in the worldly language or worldly traditions, we remind ourselves daily that we have a higher calling. We have an ultimate destination beyond just this temporary residence on this earth. We will forever one day be with our Lord in heaven. And so keep that in the front of your mind. As you live your life, remember daily, this is not my home. This is not my forever residence. <clears throat> and so that's, that's the first thing that uh, Peter wants to point out. This is our calling. We are called as sojourners, Pilgrims, we are in the world, but not of the world. And now the second thing that we learn is our purpose for living a holy life. And there's, there's really actually given two purposes uh, for living a holy life, uh, for living differently than the world. And the first reason is to bring glory to God. In verse 12 it says, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers... They may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we're called to live honorable lives, called to live, uh, have our conduct being upright. Our conduct should be blameless before the world. After all, um, as was referenced before in Matthew 5, Jesus says, You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There's no doubt in my mind that as you go throughout your life living an upright life, as you go living a godly life, we will have criticism from the world because they don't act, you know, we don't act like them. Um, And they may criticize you and they may throw some false accusations against your character over time. But what this verse is saying is that none of those accusations will ever be able to stick because of the track record that we have of good deeds. So if we are living the way the Lord has called us to live, our good deeds will always shine beyond any kind of false accusation, and no one will be able to truly pin us down as this is how you act. When, If we are living holy, we will be different. We will be noticeably different. People will see that we're different because Jesus has transformed our lives. And um, ultimately what this verse is saying is that through your good deeds, through a repetition, through a life lived well for the Lord, through a life lived of good deeds for the Lord, um, people will begin more and more realizing that that is your character, that is who you are. And in turn, their accusations should ultimately turn into praising and glorifying God because they will have nothing against you. They'll have nothing that they can turn Against, and instead of criticizing God, instead of bringing uh, shame to your name or your character, they will bring glory to God for the work that he's done in your life. Jesus said again, we are the light of the world. So let our light shine brightly 
so that the world may see our good works, and that will cause them to want to then therefore praise the God we serve. The second part, uh, our second purpose that we have um, for living a life set apart uh, while we're on this earth is not just to bring glory to God, but also to silence the critics, to silence the critics, to silence the foolish unbelievers um, so they don't have any ammo or any fuel to go off of in bringing criticism against us. And there are a few, there's a few places in the Bible that talk about the will of God. And um, some of them are few and far between, but this one for sure is a clear statement that says, this is the will of God for your life. And here we have one in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Whether you like it or not, <clears throat> the world knows um, anyone who professes to be a believer, they will realize that you are making this claim about yourself, and they will hold you to a higher standard. They place you in their mind in a different category than themselves. And from that point on, once you tell them, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, they will begin examining and looking at your life and saying, do you actually practice what you preach? If you are truly a follower of Christ, or they'll see if you're living a double life. And they are just looking, whether you want to realize it or not, they are looking for things to criticize about you. And it doesn't matter if they themselves are living corrupt lives. It doesn't matter if they are living totally ungodly lives themselves. They're looking at you because you are supposed to be different than them. They know that you are supposed to act in a way that's not like the world. And they realize that, and they will uh, bring it up if you don't. And I've had many unbelievers come up to me, actually, and they'll read an article in the news or they'll read um, something they heard and say, you know, this pastor or that pastor um, fell into this sin. Or, you know, I have a friend who says he's a Christian, but he did this to me. And, uh, you know, how could, uh, you know, you say, you know, David, you're a Christian, right? You know, how could someone be such a hypocrite? How could someone claim to be a Christian when they just did this or that? How could this pastor say that he serves God when he did that? I don't even do that, you know? And they may start playing that they're holier than thou kind of thing in examining their own lives. Um, they say, you know, who would want to believe in a God or their God when they do stuff like that? And the world, again, is watching. And the thing is that these, uh, these give opportunities for God's name to be blasphemed by foolish people, by unbelievers. Because a believer... Uh, because a believer failed to live according to the calling that God has put forth to live a holy life, now we have foolish unbelievers criticizing them, um, not just them, but also the God they serve. And I was thinking, uh, as I thought about that idea, I was remembering the story of King David. And, you know, you know the story well. He lusted in his heart. He committed adultery. And uh, he slept with an, an unmarried woman, or a married woman. And it was supposed to be something done secretly while the men were at war. No one was supposed to find out. And uh, in order to try and uh, silence or hide any kind of uh, evidence, he ultimately, he kills her husband Uriah and thinks that that's the end of it. Um, but surely, uh, you know, be sure your sins will find you out because uh, shortly after that, Nathan the prophet comes to David and he rebukes him. He, he tells him, you know, you've done a great evil before God. And he, he tells him what he's done is wrong. And, and David 
um, is convicted of his sin, David repents of his sin, and God does ultimately restore him. God speaks of David as a man after his own heart. But at this particular time, um, David chose to live unrighteously. David chose to live ungodly. And uh, there are still, even after God forgives a person, even after a person repents, um, there are consequences for their actions. And one of the consequences is found in 2 Samuel 12, where it says, However, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Because of what David had done, foolish men now had ammo to blaspheme God's name. Some kind of godly man David is, they would say. Isn't he the same man who supposedly worships God and follows him? What kind of God would allow a murderer and adulterer to be one of his own people? And you can just imagine the, the talk that people had against David and against ultimately not just David, but against the God he serves. And uh, his name that day was greatly dragged through the mud. And uh, people continue, even years after, continue... Um, will speak evil even of God because of some of the things that David has done, um, because he chose to act like the world, because he chose to act sinfully. And now the, the world will mock God for that reason. Um, and, so, and so it is with us. If we live righteously, we then therefore give the world no opportunity to you know, speak poorly of us, but also speak poorly of our God. Um, but if we act, on the other hand, like the world does, if we live unholy lives, if we choose to live for the here and now, if we choose to live like everyone else around us, it brings shame to our testimony. It brings shame to other believers that, you know, you're associated with that group of Christians. And most importantly, it brings shame to the God we serve. So live, again, a life of holiness. Live a life that's blameless before the world because the world is watching. So again, this is the will of God for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So those, with all that, all that in mind, with the fact that we are pilgrims uh, living on this earth, the fact that we are residents, al resident aliens living in a country that we aren't actually truly citizens of, with the fact that God has called us to good works that we might glorify him through it and show that we are different, uh, what then are some practical ways in which we can live righteously and cause others to see our good works? And um, we get the first um, practical application in verse 11. We'll just go back to that. And the first practical way that we can live righteously is to avoid the lust of the flesh. We need to avoid the lust of the flesh. It says in verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. When we say fleshly lust, sometimes our mind uh, goes directly just to sexual sins. We think, you know, obviously this statement is written about um, abstaining from adultery, homosexuality, pornography, things of that nature. But this would also include fleshly desires such as excessive consumption of food, which is, in the Bible, it's, it's gluttony. Um, and God forbids us to do that. Uh, excessive drinking, that leads to drunkenness. This is, again, forbidden in the Bible. It could include the love of money and desire to hoard up wealth and just want to hold on to the little piece of this earth that we have. Um, again, abstain from fleshly lusts. Our desires will be to do all those things because we have a sin nature. 
And yet, God has called us to live and abstain from these things. After all, you are a citizen of heaven. Right now, you are currently living on this earth, and you're surrounded by the temptations of this earth, and these all appeal to our flesh. But again, it goes against who you are to the core as a Christian. And so these lusts wage against our spiritual well-being. They hinder our fellowship from God when we choose to go after and pursue our lusts. They stunt our spiritual growth. And if you chase them long enough, they will make your entire ministry for the Lord totally useless. They will make your service for the Lord uh, completely absent. And, um, you know, in, in a way, even though you've been saved, even though God has given you, um, saved you and given you a place in heaven with him, Satan can use these things as opportunities where you're, not made, you're made of no use um, for him while on this earth. And so, again, abstain from these things, say no to fleshly lusts, and in turn, the world will recognize that there is clearly something different about you. And in turn, that should cause them to glorify God. So, number one, abstain from worldly flesh, uh, abstain from the lust of the flesh. Number two, submit to authority. So this is found in verse 13 through 14. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man from, for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as those who are sent by, sent for, sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. <clears throat> This one is um, pretty fitting for today's society that we live in. It seems as though there is a growing stubbornness to submit to authority, uh, such as presidents, such as governors, police officers. Anyone who's given responsibility over you to keep society in order, there's a growing resistance to follow them, growing resistance to obey them. Um, But verse 14 actually tells us um, kind of God's purpose for placing presidents, governors, police officers, mayors, all these people in authority. He says that their role is to punish or to discipline the evildoers. Their job is to, if they see someone doing wrong, they're trying to uh, correct it, uh, punish them for it, and have them move on um, in society. Um, So they're responsible for taking action when crime is committed. But their role is also to praise those who do good which you know, I think is not done quite as often as it should be, but uh, their role in, in, in being leaders over us is to, to see those people who are doing and acting righteously, righteously who are upright citizens, and they are to commend them for their, for their good service. And um, they are to thank those who are law-abiding citizens in their community. Um, but again, the more and more that we see uh, people in the society, the more and more we realize that there is this growing sentiment that I don't want to follow that leader. I don't want to obey that person. People have a negative view of who their leaders are. They have a negative view of, uh, of the people in power. And from that negativity grows a lack of respect. And from that lack of respect grows a desire to not submit to them and not to submit to their authority. And, you know, this could be done practically by just, you know, breaking the law through speeding through not following the traffic signs. It could be done through committing fraud. Uh, It could be done through not paying your fair share of taxes because you feel as though the government's not spending it wisely, so why do I owe them my taxes? Um, 
So no matter your reasoning for wanting to rebel, whether it be internally just in your heart as you grumble against them, or whether it be uh, outwardly where you actively say something and you actively resist uh, their authority or you protest against them and um, try and cause a riot against them or try and um, even go and physically attack one of them. Um, no matter what, you, what your reasoning is for it, God has called you to submit to that authority. And uh, a lot of us have excuses. A lot of people will say, but Lord, look how corrupt that man or woman is. But Lord, if you only saw, look at that policy they just put into place. But Lord, look at their political party that they're associated with. Lord, look at what they've done in their personal life and the cover-ups and all the, the criminal activity that gets swept under the rug. Lord, how can I submit to someone like that? Listen, no matter who's in charge, whether it's a dictator, whether it's someone who's oppressive, whether it's Nero, who was actually actively at this time persecuting Christians that this letter was written, the command still is to submit to the leaders that we have in charge over us. After all, these authorities are appointed by God. We remind ourselves of what we read only a few months ago in Romans 13. It says, let every, subject, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So regardless of who's in charge, regardless if you like that person or not, regardless if it's your political party or not, again, God is still in charge. God is still on his throne. He's the ultimate ruler over all these people. And he has allowed both righteous and unrighteous people to come into power to ultimately serve him. And we read about that in Romans 13. He continues by saying, for this leader, whoever it may be, he is God's minister to you for good. These people are brought into power to do God's will. And so if these, these are God-ordained ministers that he's brought into power, we must then obey them. We must then honor them. Don't resist them. In fact, it, it, there's a warning against resisting these people. It says in Romans 13 too, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. by So basically, by resisting these authorities, by resisting the authority God has instituted, God is saying that you will bring upon yourself judgment. Because this is the person I've appointed, this is the person I've selected to be over you right now. So again, don't resist, submit to the people in authority over you. Not only just are we, or should we submit to these people, but as a Christian who is living a life that's different than the world, we should also pray for our leaders that God has placed over us. We read about uh, this in 1 Timothy 2. It says, Therefore I exert you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So that is what God desires of believers. He desires that we pray for our leaders. He desires that we, we care for their well-being and that we hope that you know, God would use them in a way to effectively serve his purpose. So that should be our, our, that should be our way of living. And that, and that to the world is so different. That is so unlike the world. The world loves to look at a political leader on both sides, and uh, we'll just speak poorly of them. They'll speak harsh words about them. They put them down. Um, 
you would think that some of these people are their worst enemies by how some people talk. But again, we have to remind you that we are called to be different. We are called to not talk like that. We are called to honor them, to respect them, and to pray for them. And so we are, again, um, that is our calling as people who are not of this world, but right now we do currently live in it. So now um, there is a little side I should, I should talk about because there are clearly times where uh, leaders in past times and sometimes even in the current time that we live in will write laws that will go against God's word, that will uh, clearly go against the written will of God, go against his commandments. <clears throat> I think of, um, you know, not just in our day, but this has gone on for years. You think back to the life of Daniel. Daniel lived in a time where the king at the time wrote a decree that no one should pray to any other god, any other person. No one should be uh, thinking of anyone else except me. And um, this, was, this decree was written. Uh, people were told to cease from doing so. And Daniel decided that he was going to continue on praying, continue on praising God and continue on looking to him as he had always done before. And um, people found out that he was doing that. People found out that he was refusing to obey the law that this king had just put into place. And so Daniel was put into the lion's den as punishment. He was put in there, and yet God preserved him through that, and the mouths of the lions were shut, and um, he was unharmed. Uh, it also happened to Daniel's friends. He had three friends who refused to bow down to a golden image that was erected, and uh, the king told them, you know, bow down or you will be thrown into this fiery furnace. And they refused after multiple warnings. They would not worship this golden image. They would not bow down to it. And they were thrown again. They were, they were punished. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. And yet, once again, God protected these men. God allowed them to not suffer, not to perish, even though they were going against the, the king who was put into place by God at the time. Both of these are le legitimate reasons to disobey a worldly leader. Both of them are, are legitimate reasons uh, because God, in Daniel's case, had commanded us in his word to pray to him, to look to him um, in all things. In the cases of his friends, God tells us clearly, you shall have no other God before me. We're not to bow before any other person besides our own God. Um, and so these cases of what the world would call disobedience to a worldly ruler, those are the exceptions. These are the exceptions to a general rule that God has given us of submitting to our rulers, of submitting to our presidents, our kings, prime ministers, governors, or any other power uh, of office that someone holds. Overall, overall the message is that aside from these situations where it goes against God's written word, against, that goes against the will of God for your life, besides those situations, our goal is to live a life that submits to authority. Live a life that obeys God's, a God-given official's power over you. Live a life that it's just different from the world that they'll take notice of because you're submitting to someone that the rest of the world thinks very poorly of. And in doing that, the world will observe your good deeds, give them no additional ammo to go off of, and it will silence any of the false accusations. The best answer to a foolish accusation that comes from ignorant men is by living a holy life. 
And Peter further says on this issue in verse 16 that we are to live as free, yet not, as, not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Peter says, look, you're to act as free men. You're called to obey higher authority. Uh, you know, you're called to obey higher authority than even, even the local government. First and foremost, you are to obey God and God's will for your life. Christians, though, are free people. We, we're, you know, we're free in Christ. We're no longer subject um, you know, to the Old Testament laws. We're no longer um, you know, in bondage or in slavery. And our true purpose and our, our, our future is not tied up into anything in human government. It's not tied to any worldly leader. Um, but that doesn't mean that just because we're free, we then therefore go out and live lives of lawlessness. It doesn't mean that we just start disobeying human government. It doesn't mean that we use our freedoms in Christ as a reason to justify our disobedience or, or justify a sin that we're involved in. If we did that, then how do we be any different from the rest of the world? So again, God has just called us again to submit to authority, but submission to a human authority is not to be viewed up as some kind of slavery or bondage. We submit to them because he, first of all, has commanded us to do so. It's not because we have any loyalty to this world or the federal government or, or anyone for that, ma- for that matter, but we do it simply because God has told us to do so and we just want to be obedient followers of him. And as bondservants of God, we follow his command, we submit to rulers, and as a result, the world will again take notice of that. Peter concludes in verse 17 in this section by saying, Honor all people, love the, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. The third way in which a citizen of heaven <clears throat> should live on this earth is found in these simple commands here. These commands kind of sum up what God would love for us to do in interacting with those around us, as we interact with other believers, and as we interact with human authorities. The first of the four commands is to honor all people. There are people you're going to deal with in your life that are unbelievers, people who are, you know, ungodly, people who are just absolutely wicked in the way they live their lives. And yet those people are no less valuable in God's sight. Those people are no less um, um, worthy or valuable or worthy of saving in his sight. You know, we are, we are sinners just like they were. We are, uh, you know, but he is still the God who gave his life for them. He died not only for our sins, but for the sins of people that we don't get along with, people who are corrupt, people who are evil. Um, We are all sinners made in the image and likeness of God. We are precious in his sight. And with that in mind, with the fact that God um, loves us so much he died for all of us, with the fact that we're made in his image, we should honor those people. We should have a level of respect for them, for all life, for all people on this earth. And if we treated everyone in that way, if we honored every person we came into contact with, if we treated them remembering that this is a person made in the image of God, how differently our world would be. So honor all people. The next command is to love the brotherhood. Um, More than just loving unbelievers, we have a special affection towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all part of one family. 
we are, uh, these, these brothers and sisters of Christ are the ones who pray for you. These are people who uh, encourage you in your walk for the Lord. These are people who will minister to your soul through preaching, through teaching. They'll disciple you. All these people um, are worthy of, of loving because they are, they're walking alongside you in your walk. In John 13, 35, it says, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So the world is watching. They're, they're waiting to see if you're a true believer, a true follower of Christ, and you'll know, they'll know that by your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So show them that you're different by loving them. The third one is fearing God. This is a, this is a command that it doesn't to be taken as to be afraid or be terrified of the God that we serve, but rather to show reverence towards him, to show a level of respect for him, um, to, to look at him and see, you know what? He is a mighty, powerful God. He is a God who is incredible in all the works he's done in creation, in my own life, in the world around me. He is perfect. He is absolutely holy. And in light of those things, we should be in awe and wonder of how great our God is. We are his bondservants. And so in light of the God that we serve as bondservants to him, our desire should be to please him, to obey him, to be a light to this dark world for his namesake. And the final, uh, the final command that he gives is to honor the king. <clears throat> Again, this is just a reinforcement of what Peter's already said. To honor the, the rulers over you, to honor those who are in power. No matter who it is, honor them. Give them the respect that they are due. Again, remind yourselves that there is no one in authority who has come into authority without God first giving them that power. And so Christians, give honor, give respect to the king or president that God has placed over you. And again, you know, this is in light of, um, in light of them following correctly. If they, if they put a law out there that goes against God's word, then obviously we'll follow God's word, God's word before anything else. But as a rule, a general rule, we submit, we obey them. So I asked you at the very beginning, you know, how can we make the biggest impact on this world? How can we really um, reach the lost world best? The biggest impact we can make is by living a righteous and holy life. And again, we do that by saying no to the lust of the flesh. We do that by submitting to authorities over you. You do that by honoring all people, by loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. You do that by fearing the Lord through your actions. Believers, let your light so shine before men that the unbelieving world may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we just, we look at these uh, wonderful commands and Lord, we realize that we are, we're called to be different, Lord. We're called to um, a much higher calling, Lord, and Lord, we're not, we're not citizens of this world, and Lord, we want to live in light of that fact. We want to live in the fact that, Lord, we are, we're heavenly citizens, and we are to uh, be a light to the lost world around us. And I pray that, Lord, people would truly look at our lives and see that there is something different. I pray that people would look at our lives, our actions, our words, and say, you know what? There is something different about you. And Lord, I pray that that would bring you glory. I pray that it would bring you praise, and that people would come to know you through the effective ministry of just living a godly life. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.